Welcome to Career and Leadership Real Talk, the no-nonsense guide for ambitious managers who want to have more impact and progress their career. I'm Pamela Langan, a job search coach and expert CV writer specialising in helping frustrated professionals land the jobs and pay rises they know they deserve. And I'm Jackie Jagger, a leadership and mindset coach specialising in helping newly promoted and new to role leaders to avoid the dickhead trap and lead with confidence. Between us, we've helped hundreds of leaders and managers to find new roles, take ownership of their careers, and handle the challenges that job searches and leadership responsibility inevitably bring. And now we're joining forces to share with you what we know has worked for our clients. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode. For the next few weeks, we've got something a little bit different for you. So back in the early episodes, we used to have a segment called Career Clinic, which was our real quick responses to questions that we've been asked. And what we found over recent episodes is that we've had some really juicy, meaty stuff to delve into. So we've really expanded and done full episodes. But for the next few weeks, we're going to catch up with some of the questions that we've seen that have come up either from messages, from our own clients, from communities that we're part of. So we're going to get straight into some of the real nitty gritty, some of the questions that we're being asked. As normal, if you have more questions that you want us to answer, then drop us a message. But for these next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on covering those. So we're going to start with some job search questions that come up. So the first one that's come up is around AI, which is a hot topic generally in terms of tech at the moment. But specifically, like, how do I use AI within my job search? Should I use it? And more specifically still, do I use AI to write my CV. So Pam, are you one of these CV writers that's like, oh, my livelihood has gone up the swanee. Everyone's just going to use ChatGPT to write their CV. What's your response to that? How can people use AI and should they use it for their CV? You can definitely use AI to write your CV. It's definitely an option. But what you've got to bear in mind is that it can produce some real generic content. So if you are going to use it, you need to make sure that you are still showing what you deliver, what you can bring to companies and also demonstrating some of the unique things about yourself as well. The things that the AI won't know, the things that they're not that um, program or software is not going to know about your experience or your personality or what you bring to the role so my advice would always be to try and write it yourself first if you're really really struggling then use AI as, as a last resort but what I'm seeing more and more of is people using AI getting really generic results and then coming to me because they're saying the CV isn't working, the CV isn't getting them interviews. And then when I get my hands on the CV, I'm like, this is exactly why. And I'll go back and say, did you use AI to write the CV? Because I can tell by the language. So if I can tell, employers can tell, recruiters can tell. So the the best way to, to do it is just to write it yourself. Think about what you can bring to the company. Think about what they're asking somebody to deliver and create your professional summary around that and then obviously the rest of your cv information will will follow that format as well yeah i was talking not long ago to a brand strategy director at a client client's firm and (laughs) they were recruiting for a marketing role and i'm trying to remember how many of the candidates they said i think it was three of the candidates they had an application process three of the candidates 
when they'd submitted their application had included the prompt. So they'd clearly cut and pasted and included the prompt as well as the response. And obviously in marketing, AI is big news. There's loads of ways it's being used. So you'd expect that people within marketing would be investigating and using AI tools. But I think it's just a really good example of where you just have, like you say, you have to be mindful because your CV should make you stand out. It shouldn't make you blend in. And that whole piece of the language it is generic. It it thinks this is how a CV should sound and it's say, making it sound CV-ish, but it's not making it sound more you. And I think from a recruiter perspective, we always want to know a bit about that person, a bit about what makes them tick, a bit about almost to be able to envision their character from the application process, whether that's just a CV or a CV cover letter or an application form. You want to see a bit of the person as well, don't you? Yeah, definitely. And that is what makes people stand out. And I've seen loads that have used AI that have like spearheaded this, that and the other that have pioneered something. And it's not the language they would usually use. And it's now the language that other people are using because they're also using AI. So I would definitely think about the language that the AI spits out. Is that the language that I would use? Is that the language I'm going to use in the interview? Is that the first impression I want to give to people of me? And if that is the first impression, when I get to the interview, are they still going to see a bit of me or am I going to seem like a completely different person? Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody listening is in that situation where you've tried that approach and you've used it, then obviously first look at how you can take that advice and create some of your own language around the format that's created but also we'll put Pam's link in the show notes and if you do need professional support with making sure that your CV is going to get you in front of the right people then that's obviously also an option. Second question then around this and I'm lighting the blue touch paper here. (laughs) People being ghosted by recruiters. This is a huge bugbear of mine and it's happening more and more because recruiters haven't got as many jobs on as what they used to have. The current job market is tough for recruiters. Lots of companies are doing their own recruitment. So recruiters have got less things to talk to candidates about to start with. And then also recruiters are getting ghosted as well. So when they're getting ghosted, rather than being upfront with candidates, they're just also ghosting the candidates. So there's a real mix of the the job market is tough out there at the moment. And there's absolutely no excuse for anybody being ghosted. People should be upfront. But what it does come down to is people being under real pressure and not having enough time to get back to everybody. Like if you're a recruiter, you've probably got about 200 plus candidates that you need to keep in touch with. You've probably got multiple jobs that you are recruiting for. You're, you're having tons and tons of conversations on a daily, weekly basis. So sometimes the ghosting is completely unintentional. And from a recruiter point of view, I can almost sympathize with the recruiters because it is a high pressure job. But then from the candidate point of view, I also get it that it's not nice to to be ghosted and to not get that feedback and to not know what's going on. So I think if you are being ghosted by a recruiter, try a different way of contacting them. Maybe try and send an email if you can't get through on the phone. Just ask them, can we close this loop down? Can you just let me know where we're up to? 
if I'm not being considered for this job, if it's on hold, if it's being filled, can you just let me know? And hopefully they will be able to, to close the loop so you can move on. If you're working with recruiters that are persistently ghosting you, then find another recruiter, find a different recruiter, look for different jobs to apply for, start looking at companies directly. Don't take offense to being ghosted try and get an answer from them if if you wait to know did you get through to the next stage or will I be put through to the next stage and you know keep the flow going keep the job search flow going because while you're waiting around for recruiters to get back to you you're missing out on loads of opportunities that are out there right now yeah and I think this is you're so right the the thing is that recruiters are really under pressure and I was doing some research recently and it's so clear the difference on job boards now how many jobs are being posted by recruiters versus how many are being posted by direct employers and that that aspect of the job market is changing as well and I, I know we've referenced it before I think it's really important from, I would say as well, from a mindset perspective for people not to make it mean something about them. If a recruiter hasn't got back to you, then yes, be proactive, phone rather than email or email rather than phone, depending upon what's happened. But also bear in mind, there can be so many different reasons I had an internal candidate that I was talking to not long ago who was going for a promotion. And they had, which was even worse, almost an internal ghosting where they'd put their application in and didn't get an interview. And when they spoke to the hiring manager, it was the way that the system was set up internally. And actually that role had been withdrawn because the hiring manager is now aware of something different. That means that potentially the structure is going to look different. So that role had actually been pulled, but there was no pre-set up option within the software to notify someone thank you for your interest unfortunately this role is no longer being recruited for had that person not have reached out to the hiring manager to say I felt like this was a really good opportunity for me and that's because they're ambitious and they wanted their promotion had they not have done that they wouldn't have known and so if you think about the external situation where recruiters have got hopefully for them, multiple jobs from multiple different client companies and so many different applications coming in, even with the best intentions for them to keep on top of every application, if they haven't got a pre-automated sequence that says something's happened, it can have been any of those things. It can have been the role's been pulled, an internal candidate's filled that role, so now it's no longer with the agency, there's all kinds of situations that can lead to it. So just don't make it mean something about you when it, it doesn't have to. Yeah, that is perfect advice. And I've got two questions for you now. I was just looking at them to see which one I was going to ask you first. And I've realized they're actually both quite similar. So I'm going to ask you them both and see what, what your view with your HR hat on is on these two. So the first one is I'm just outside my probation period and I've been offered a better role. My contract says I've got to give three months notice. Do I have to work this much notice? And then the second question, which is very similar. So I've been working at my current company for two years and my contract says I need to work three months notice. I've been offered a new role, but they want me to start sooner. Do I have to, again, work three months notice? So 
yeah, it's interesting. I see variations and versions of those questions quite often because it's not unusual, is it? If you, especially I think for someone that's just out of probation, if you've got another job offer, you've started somewhere, it hasn't worked out, you've only been there a few months and you're keen to get on to the next thing. And especially if it's only a couple of weeks beyond probation, it's like, well, hang on a minute, doing another three months if I've only done four months or six months so far is a hell of a lot longer. And equally, there is pressure when people are recruited into a vacancy the new employer doesn't want to wait the new employer doesn't want to wait for three months even if you have had longer service so totally get why these questions come up and I think it's interesting because with both of them they talked about their contractual notice period and I think it's useful to consider what that contractual notice period actually means because it kind of means slightly different things depending upon whether you're employer or employee. So the employer has an obligation if they are serving notice to an employee to pay them their contractual notice period, normally with exceptions. So if you are disciplined and it's gross misconduct, for example, then normally they don't have to pay you notice. But other than that, normally your contractual notice period is what applies. And as an employee, if they don't do that, because it's your contractual notice period, you can then put a claim in for the fact that they haven't paid you the wages that they due. On the employee side, I feel like there's almost two things to balance here. There's the contractual position and there's also the moral or ethical position. So the contractual position is that you, in theory, do have to work whatever your notice period is, a month, three months, six months, unless you come to a mutual agreement with your existing employer. So that's the contractual position. However, the employer, the recourse that's available to them is to take you to court for breach of contract. And they can only then get back anything that they've lost. So in the same way that if they don't pay you your wage, you can take them to court and that breach of contract has very clearly cost you X amount of wages. On the flip side, if you haven't given them your energy or your attention or turned up to work for three months, there's very comparatively rarely is there a financial, clear financial value. Now, there's some exceptions to that where it can be quite clear that you have cost the money if you've not fulfilled a contract. But the normal contractual thing is that if they were to try and take you for breach of contract, they actually find it very hard to prove that they've had any financial losses and therefore it's relatively low risk to walk away or to insist on a shorter notice period because the likelihood of them pursuing a claim when the chances of them winning and or getting very much from it are low. So then you have that moral or ethical stance. And here, what I always say to people is, think about a combination of how do you want to leave the relationships with your existing employer? What do you want and how do you balance the existing employer with your relationship with your new employer? And also sometimes there's factors around mental health and well-being here. So the times that I would advise people to just really 
dig their heels in and say, that's it, is if you're in a really toxic environment and that sticking it out for another three months is going to absolutely drain you day in, day out for three months and you'll get no thanks anyway and they're just going to be a rotten employer to work for, then I would prioritise that because you realistically, when you weigh up the chances, then realistically they're probably not going to take you for breach of contract. I would say with all of this, it's not legal advice. And if you are in this situation, seek advice on your own circumstances. But yeah, broadly speaking, from a moral perspective, if they're a terrible employer anyway, they're not going to give you any thanks for sticking out. And the toxic environment is going to drain you, then make a move sooner rather than later. If you are in an industry or in a role where that would sort of burn your bridges, then I would always try and find some compromise. If you need to, you normally can walk away sooner rather than later. But if you can do that in a way that is more amicable, rather than just leaving an employer in a lurch, then to me, that that just balances in terms of my values and what feels right to me. I wouldn't want to just walk away. But if you're just out of your probation, and they maybe haven't given you even a confirmation you're out of your probation and you thought that your notice period is two weeks and it's actually three months. Well, that's a massive difference. And then to me, the moral obligation is lower compared to the person that knew full well that they were two and a half years in and the notice period was three months. And now the new employer is just putting pressure on. And realistically, that new employer should understand because that new employer shouldn't be pushing you to turn your back and be unfair to your existing employer because as much as they're keen to get you in and get things up and running, actually, when push comes to shove, they shouldn't be encouraging you to do the wrong thing by your existing employer. Yeah, it's it's always it's always a a, a funny subject, isn't it, to to broach with with your employer when that you want to leave sooner, and especially if you've got all of that toxic stuff going on, or you're just so excited about the new role. For, or whatever's going on there's you once you've accepted a new role you don't want to work three months notice do you so I mean what would you say is the best way to to approach it would it be go with the proposal and a view of what the handover looks like so that you you're not dropping a bombshell and then running away you're saying right here's the bombshell but here's the plan yeah absolutely it's again comes back to take ownership so if you want to be released sooner and you can make that something that can work and be a win-win, then it's much more likely that you can balance those things and have that amicable agreement. If you just turn up and go, I don't want to wait three months, so I'm only going to work two weeks, see you bye, <laughs> then you are then turning and walking away. So absolutely think about handover, think about how work potentially could be covered if they need to recruit think about what do they need to know think about are you happy to potentially be contacted for example so they might pay you for an extra two or three days where you're then almost on call for another month so that if things come up you're available there's lots of ways that you can seek to compromise and make things work both ways round. I've loved our career clinic today and we absolutely love hearing from you supporting your career progression so don't forget to send us in any questions that you've got or anything that you like support with that is career or leadership related and don't forget to share this episode with anybody that you think might find it useful and we'll be back next time with another career clinic special.
Exciting news from us. If you're an ambitious leader or manager earning 50K or more and you're ready to take your career to the next level, we have an opportunity for you. Introducing Catalyst Career Club, your secret weapon for unlocking career success. As a member, you'll get access to monthly live training sessions, exclusive job opportunities, and the ability to get personalized advice from us on your toughest career challenges. We've helped thousands of driven leaders like you secure significant pay rises, plan dream roles, and thrive in their careers. And now we want to support you in achieving your most ambitious career goals too. Membership is just $6.99 per month with no contract or tie-in. And as a special bonus for being our podcast listeners, you can use the code podcast at checkout to get your first month for just one pound. Head over to PamelaLangan.com forward slash Catalyst Career Club to sign up now and we'll see you inside.